When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest episode of the Royal Blue Podcast. I'm your host Conor O'Neill, joined today by Joe Thomas, Chris Beasley and Gav Buckland as we look back on Everton's huge 1-0 win over Brentford at Goodison Park on Saturday afternoon. We look back on the game in general, Sean Dyche rolling the resurgence of Dwight McNeil, and of course the whole relegation picture, as it seems that more clubs are being dragged in to the relegation battle each week. Mm. But gents, there's only one place to start, and as it goes to some park on Saturday, as Everton claims a huge three points against Thomas Frank's side, Dwight McNeil's goal after 35 seconds, the difference. Joe, I'll start with you. It was a funny old time, but just on Saturday, I think it's safe to say, because obviously before the game, you know, Bournemouth beating Liverpool 1-0 was not the result that Everton wanted, given the position that Bournemouth were in, and Everton found themselves inside the bottom three, well, second bottom, before kickoff. By the time the full-time whistle blew, we got to five o'clock on Saturday evening, Everton up to 15th, their highest position since November 5th. It was a funny old day, wasn't it? Yeah, funny on, on a lot of levels, wasn't it? And not just 15th, but two, you know, they two points off 12th now. So, I mean, you know, it is, it is yeah. obviously also three points off, off bottom with Southampton getting that point. So the funny results continued all weekend. Yeah, it really was a strange one, wasn't it? And I think, I think just being sat there in the bowels of Goodison in the media centre watching Bournemouth turn over Liverpool, you know, I mean, there was a lot of unease, I think, going into the game anyway. Um, it's still a, a really kind of, that, that lingering sense it had been two important points dropped against Nottingham Forest the week before. And when you go and see Bournemouth go and do that against Liverpool after what they just did to United, you just think, oh no, is this just going to be not the season? And then I felt that that attitude was kind of in the stadium a little bit about 10 minutes before kickoff. I wrote about this in the match report and, and lots of people have mentioned it. I'm not alone in saying this, but... I think a lot of credit has to go to whoever decided to bring the siren back because it it just it felt like Goodison was almost in a daze, like this kind of like this pessimistic daze at ten to three. And when that siren came on, it just sharpened the senses and it just got every it just woke everybody up. It was a shock to the system, and I think uh, you know I think it almost it's almost that they held the players back for an extra five or six seconds just so it could carry on like echoing around the stadium. And by the time the fact the players came out. The reception that they got was was, was phenomenal and they, they got that back in throughout the game. And, you know, I don't think that the Brentford players had quite regained their composure from the battering of the senses that they'd got when they emerged from that tunnel. Because obviously the goal came after 35 seconds and they hit with another wall of Goodison noise. And, you know, that Goodison noise was crucial. I think um, first half Everton with a better side should have been more than 1-0 up. I'm sure we'll talk about the VAR call. Another difficult one to go to take going against Everton. Second half, Brentford the better side by a mile. Uh, another case of you know an opposition able to strengthen on the hour mark when they bring on multiple substitutions. Everton can't do that, or Sean Dyche is choosing not to do that. 
but what they can do is they can get that extra sustenance from the fans. And I thought they did that throughout the second half. You know, some of the, the battle cries that rang out and the chance at important times and they got them over the line and it's a huge win. Huge win. Be shows it there, it's a huge win. When you're down at the bottom, every win yeah. is huge. Say that every week, don't we? But yeah. they did have that feeling on Saturday that whenever the full time whistle went, Everton managed to get themselves over the line. And not just from a, a pure three points point of view, yeah. more in a psychological that, you know, they dragged themselves over the line almost, you know, and they, they well, some people might say they crawled over the line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's because what had gone, had gone before, as you say, the um, the Bournemouth um, result, you know, the Evertonians finding themselves in the unusual position of um, wanting to cheer, cheer on um, the Reds there. And uh, I was out doing the protest um, pre match, and a guy had it on his phone, and he was absolutely fuming when Mo Salah missed the penalty. I wonder what was going on. Um, and um, he was saying that he did that deliberately. Well, I don't think he did that, but you know that's how that's how it almost felt. You know, when he got Liverpool, a rampant Liverpool team, I mean, he couldn't make it up. I mean, I mean, as much as it was bad for Everton, um, it's, it's, I suppose it's good for football that a Liverpool team who can put nine past Bournemouth and then Manchester United seven past them the week before then comes to Cropper down at the Vitality Stadium. Unfortunately, Joe and I know all about disappointments <laughs> down there this season. Um, but yeah, um, and also the fact that with Everton's results, they they'd lost the, the, the previous um, home game against Aston Villa, where they'd done well, but then ultimately were undone. And then a couple of tough games on, on the road, um, picking up a point at Forest. So it felt very timely for them to, to get back to, to winning ways and the, the way it's it's gone. I think the more teams who are involved in that, and there's only six points now between the bottom nine, which is incredible, is probably good. Forever, and because like it's the old one, you really do concentrate on your own mm-hmm. results. And then if Everton do the business, if the more teams are actually involved in it all, as long as Everton look after their own house, I mean, there's an increased probability that they they will be okay. But yeah, it's still it's so close, isn't it? It's so close. Gav, me and you spoke at half time about whether Everton have got enough in the kind of the tank to to see the game out yeah. and, and, and win. They wrote the look at times in the second half. I think it's safe to say, obviously, Jordan Pickford pulls up a great save and McNeil clears one, clears one off the line. But it was great to see them get over the line, though, wasn't it? You know, battle the way over the line almost because that fighting spirit and that determination is going to be crucial moving forward if they ever are to, you know, preserve their top flight status. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I don't think we can play every game like that. At some point, you're going to pay the price, but. Everyone's heart, thought, all the games like that. <laughs> yeah, I just thought um, it's played to our strengths. I mean, Michael Keane has his critics, but the one thing, as we know, he's really good at is if you just stick him in the penalty area and just get him to put blocks in and head the ball out, then he's as, he's as good as anybody. And with the bonus that Tarkovsky plays really well, as indeed did um, Seamus Coleman. And, and really, Benford for all their possession and all their you know, trying to get round the back of uh, back of us. I'm trying to think about how many really good chances they created. They obviously had the, the header that was blocked by Pickford and the, the one that was cleared off the line by McNeil. But apart from that, the only one I can think of is where the goal the headers was in the uh, yeah. Donald's minutes. It was, you know, that would have been Everton, that, wouldn't it, really? And the, the there was a couple of other headers that sort of flew across the, the six-yard box. But... We defended well and we worked really hard and, and I, I, it was a bit nervy, but it wasn't as if Brentford were peppering our goal with, with shots and, you know, good chances. So it was well done to everybody, really. 
you know, I haven't had to defend the lead. I think we worked out, Chris, we had to defend the lead for the best part of 98 minutes, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, that's, so that's, that's a long time. The, the second half was a different game, wasn't it, to the first half? And and I think we always remember the most recent half when judging the game, but over the game, we probably deserved to win because what good chances there were. We're largely created by us in the first half, weren't they? The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Joe, there was one talking point I think would have become a bigger talking point during the game on Saturday, and that was Damari Gray's goal that was ruled out following a VAR review. Obviously, a lot of people have their own opinions on it. Mine was that I thought it was an incredibly harsh call. I, I, I still can't really, to this minute, see any play, which is a clear you know, evidence that it is, does hit his hands. That almost felt like it was going to be very evident, didn't it, in the sense of another VAR call going against them when it matters most. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I think it should have been a goal. I think Sean Dyche thinks the same, unsurprisingly. Uh, I'm sure Damari Gray does as well, judging by his reaction on the um, on Instagram after, where he basically just said, thanks, VAR, and shared a picture of him celebrating the goal that never was. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's... I, think, I thought his reaction itself was quite telling. You know, normally when you have a, hand, a goal scored by handball, there's a degree of kind of... Will it count? Won't it count? And the player acts a little bit dumb. They're not sure, but there's a bit of a hesitation. There's none of that from Damari Gray. He was off in the corner, sliding on his knees. I think he he couldn't envisage it being ruled out. And you know, I completely understand why. Ball comes at him from incredibly close range. He hasn't got an opportunity to react. I'm not actually convinced it hits his arm. I think it probably might hit his chest. You know, from what? Yeah, you know, the angles aren't the best, but it it, it doesn't it doesn't look. The best call, I don't think, especially as you know, you want the benefit. And with offside, it was also the benefit that out goes the attack inside if there's no clear infringement. Um, and I think the benefit of the doubt should have gone to Damari Gray on that count, and it would have ended a very good first half for Everton. It would have put them 2 0 in going into break, and that probably would have been the end of Brentford as a force. We know they're a very, very good side, Brentford, but you know, in that atmosphere, in those horrible conditions, on on Saturday, 2-0 down against a side that really, really wanted and needed it. You know, I'm not sure that they'd have had a resurgence in the second half, and that second half would have been a lot more comfortable for all of us. Um, it's yet another, I'll tell you what, the, when I first saw it go in, I thought, finally, this is the bit of luck that Everton have not really had all season. You know, you see it happen for other clubs every now and then. I remember it happened to Forest early on the season when, when, when they scored one of their first goals in this Premier League campaign. And Everton just don't seem to have one that's, you know, Gone, if, gone in off someone's backside or ricocheted off someone or a ridiculous own goal. Or, you know, just that little bit of luck that can just change things when when things aren't going brilliantly. Lampard, I felt for, you know, we can discuss how well he did or how well he didn't do. But one thing I always got a sense of Lampard was that he wasn't a very lucky manager. Nothing like that ever happened for him. All the big decisions went against him. And I think the big decisions are continuing to go against Everton under Sean Dyche. You know, we, we, we've, seen, we've seen a couple now and you know, I thought, um, you know, cause obviously we were discussing last week, I thought Seamus Coleman should have had a second penalty against Nottingham Forest. And then again, it's a that, story, that game's a, a, a potentially a different story. So another frustrating call. We'll say the same thing we always say. Hopefully they're being stored up for some miraculous time when Evan are going to, I don't know, next season VAR their way all the way to the Premier League title or something like that. But, yeah. you know, <laughs> like, uh, yeah, frustrating. It would have had such a big impact on, on the game. But luckily, 
you know, we're not ruining it. I've still got the win. And as a result, we can talk about it semi-colloquially as a result. But that's still not good enough. I still, I still thought we should have stood. I think Bees Gav makes the point earlier about, you know, you judge it being the most recent heart we've seen, obviously. Second half, everyone has to do a yeah. lot of defending, dig deep. But you can't forget how many chances they actually created in that first half because for all sort of the attack and play and, and things maybe not working in the final third, mm. Everton could have been two, three, even four up on Saturday because of the chances because they did yeah. have open Brentford on that many times. Yeah, just just before I go, go on to that, just carrying on with, with the VAR, if, if I may, because it was... It, it, it was inconclusive, but obviously that was the biggest chance of all. It went in the, it went in the net. And um, for me, it's part of the, this bigger picture that Joe, Joe alludes to it. Um, it was it was inconclusive. I mean, without going into detail too much about our, our position in the Goodison press box, I think it's fair to say, I don't think it's an unfair criticism of the club, say that we don't have a great view on the monitors and, and, and the press box, um, particularly... Obstructed by people in front of us as well because it's so crammed in there, and you know it, it was, and the fact that it was an inconclusive. So you're going against the the, the decision in the in the stadium, whereas the, we've had the Forest incident the previous game where he's not even the referee going over to have a look at the monitor and anything like that. So it was a sort of the continuation of this general theme where Everton just don't seem to get the the rub of the green on these things. But in terms of the of the chances, yeah, I mean, I think I'm doing armour. Could have done perhaps a, a bit better there. I mean, you know, chance came at him quickly after the the, the keeper had, had saved it, but he's only got the one goal so far. That's the big thing you want to, for him to add to his game because obviously, as we know, there's so few goals within the side, and you know that midfield could do with some more goals. So you think if he could add goals to his game, he could be so much more a complete player. But he's very much a work in progress, despite you know being the precocious talent he is. And then, as we said, Alex Awobi having one off the line, yeah. They, I think this is going to be, unfortunately, I mean, you've got to hope Everton do enough like they did on Saturday. It's sort of a prevailing theme going forward now with with Everton under Deitch in that if they don't have the options on the bench, you've got to come out of those blocks quickly and try and do as much as you can before they like, start to tire after after the break. Gav, do you almost think, obviously, you know, you answered on the positive, you know, raised concerns about Frank Lampard in terms of the coaching side of things and, you know, what he was working on to, in on on the training pitch. But do you think now we're seeing no signs of what's to come from Sean Dice? He's also had the squad for a small amount of time, but there's real promising signs that as well as being able to the you know, the real gritty, nitty-gritty side of the game. Everton are starting to carve up, you know, create chances against Aston Lurdy, created chances. If they start taking them, things will start looking a lot more prettier for, for all involved. Yeah, absolutely. The, the one thing I'd say about just to add the one thing about the VAR is they're acting the world the goal in the first place, did he? He, he said, didn't he point to, he pointed to his arm, didn't he? Straight away, the referee. I, I watched it in the ground, he pointed to his arm straight away. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. If you watch it again, I watched it this morning. It, the left, the left doesn't award the goal, he points to his arm straight I watched uh, in the ground, I seen it, he pointed to his arm straight away. The, 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 that begs the question how he knew it struck Gray's arm when Gray had his back to him, but that's a different kettle of fish. Yeah. So I'm not sure there was a goal to be overturned there. It would have been interesting to see if he had allowed the goal and pointed to the uh, the centre circle where the VAR would have overturned it, which is a moot point. Um, but because I, I think if he'd awarded the goal clearly at the start, I don't think it would have been overturned. 
I don't think they like overturning referees' decisions, and I think he he didn't award the goal. Certainly, he pointed to the pointed to the arm. Um, but anyway, that's by the by. And uh, yeah, I think going back to your question, which you asked about five minutes ago, Connor, and I can't remember what it was now. But yeah, it's, it's, seriously, um, yeah, I think it's quite clearly that the players, same players, have have made significant improvements in his tenure. Have not he? Dwight McNeil, the goal scorer on. On Saturday, it looks a completely different player, and and I don't think that's necessarily down to just the fact that he's worked with him before. Uh, it's it's given him a role that he, he can play, and I think Seamus Coleman is you know fits into what Dice wants really well, doesn't he? Um, so the decides you know Decore as well as another one who looks a different player. So collectively, that means we you know certainly with Decore and McNeil, we've got far more of the threat. And I, I heard or read something last week. He's in Dice's first six or seven games. Our XG is about the sixth or seventh best in the Premier League. All right. Something like that. We're quite high up because we have created a lot more chances, encouragingly, uh, certainly at Forest last week and on Saturday. And, and I, the only thing I'd say is, uh, on the balance, is it? They all tend to be in the first half, don't they? We're very much running out of steam when it comes to the second half, like we did a little bit on Saturday, which for reasons we've spoken about before. But yeah, go back to your question, really encouraging. And I'm I'm quite pleased as well. And it is a little, probably to be expected because of the, the team, uh, the players we've got is, Dice hasn't done a lift and shift of what he did at Burnley and just carried it over to Goldison, has he? No. You know, and I think some of that is down to the personnel we've got where he can't do that. But in terms of setting the team up and, and their style of play, he hasn't just said, right, this is what I did to Burnley, I'm going to do this at Goodison, which is, I think there's quite a few people, including myself, that's probably what I expected, given he'd want to go with his tried and trusted methods, considering our position. But he's actually, he's tinkered, tinkered around with things and, and showed a little bit more flexibility as a manager, than what I expected. And and that's been encouraging, because, as you say, that's enabled us to probably create a few more chances than what we we, we expected. And um, I think that's puts us in good stead for the rest of the season. You know, it, 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 it's... I, I just thought, you know, what we see now, isn't it, really, is our midfield has been getting into good positions and not really scoring the goals that reflect the chances that we've had. I mean, Takore's missed a couple, hasn't he? Onana's missed a few. And I think we need more goals from those two players because they've had chances for us, had chances on Saturday. And, um, you know, that's what I think we need to be, you know, the, the doing in terms of um, goal scoring. Because XG is just a theory, isn't it, really? Turn XG into goals is a different uh, different thing. But, yeah, very much look more, more of a threat than what we did, certainly under Lampard. But, that's a very low base, isn't it? I'm not sure that's something to be something to have, you know, be, be celebrated. But yeah, hugely encouraged that he's not done a lift and shift from Burnley. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Joe, have you, have you been surprised that Sean Dice has come in and been a lot more flexible than many people imagined? That you know he, he has kind of almost kind of evaluated the squad he's got at Everton and thought, well, I'm going to put up a system here rather than come in and be like, everyone needs to fit into this 4-4-2 formation or, you know, fit into the way I've previously done things. 
he has come in and it's almost like he's kind of assessed it, go for a plan, and that plan, you know, now seems to be yielding results. Yeah, one of the things he seems to have a bit of a frustration with, and understandably to a certain extent, is is that I think a lot of people have almost put him into a box because of the style that he adopted at, at Burnley. And, you know, I think the reality is that, just like most most managers, they, they adapt to their conditions, they adapt to the... Yeah, the, the situation that, that they've inherited at Burnley, he was constantly fighting in the Premier League with, you know, with tiny resources, and as a result, he had to do the the most effective way of playing with the players at his disposal. And albeit over a long period of time, you can have a greater say on the type of players you bring in. At the end of the day, money does does matter in football, so he's always going to be limited uh, in terms of developing a style at somewhere like Burnley. It's going to be one of the interesting things that we see. You know, if everything goes well at Everton, if he keeps them up this season and then perhaps gets to develop over a couple of transfer windows where improving accounts perhaps suggest that Everton will have a little bit more money to spend and he can hopefully take them up the table, will the style change with it? I think um, yeah, I was really, I think we were all a bit surprised when he went straight for the 4 5 1 rather than 4 4 2 in his first game in charge, but it worked. We saw it against Arsenal. Uh, and I think the, the good thing is, obviously, Everton are picking up points, they're creating chances, but you know, it's not all just. Lump it up straight up, yeah, up, up top. I don't even have a target man to aim for at the moment. Yeah. So it's, yeah, it's, they, they can't even do that. When you look against, certainly the performance against Arsenal, I know that was a while ago now, but certainly, but again, the same with the first half against Brentford. Um, on Saturday, you know, Everton played good football and with a better side as a result of that against parts of the Aston Villa game as well. You know, I think they're showing that they can compete with teams when they've got the ball on the ground as well as in the air. And that's, that's a really promising thing. You know, we, we spoke about Sean Dyche and, and, and Thomas Frank on um, the last podcast. Obviously, they, they, they faced each other the other day and they, they have got a bit of a relationship. And Thomas Frank's credited with the, the style of play that he's got at Brentford. And you know, again, Sean Dyche was asked about this and whether he wanted this Everton side to become like Thomas Frank's uh, Brentford side. He said, well, you know, there aren't any role models, there aren't any inspirations. You know, Every team is different. Every manager is different. Every set of players is different. And Thomas Frank plays that way with that group of players. But if you took Thomas Frank to another club, Dice was saying, well, he'll adapt and probably play a different way to get the best out of a different set of players. So I think there probably is a little bit more flexibility there. And again, we've alluded to this on the pod previously as well. In the same way that we, for years, have had to defend Jordan Pickford against lazy lazy interpretations of, of his performance, the idea that he plays well for country but not club when he's been exceptional for probably going on for two years now for Everton you know I think going forward it might be the same way with Deitch where it feels already like Everton's increasing improvement in form is being viewed by people from outside the club who aren't paying a lot of attention as uh, Deitch has come in he's made them hard he's made them horrible to play against and route one we're not seeing anything like that so you know I think um, I've been surprised by how flexible he's been I've been surprised by the tactics he's chosen you know, things like putting a Wobie out wide rather than in the middle when he was our most creative player in there. But it, it's working. You know, there's a definite improvement. Whether it works at the end of the season, you know, for the rest of the season, we'll have to wait and see. But if it does, it'll be then be interesting to see what he does over a transfer window and, you know, whether he looks to develop a star going forward. I think that was probably Frank Lampard's problem. He, he had the pragmatism to see after the Tottenham game last season that he had no choice but to fight for everything and five at the back probably just this season started to try and run before he could walk and start to play a lot more progressive football without that kind of that almost intermediary step where he had to get from 
17th to 14th, where it still relied a lot on fight and a lot of resilience and being very difficult to be at the back, you know, to, you know, difficult to beat and a, a strong core of the side and then build upon that once you've got the points in the bag to start freeing things up a little bit. These, in terms of, you know, of chance of staying up, mm. the big thing that people always worry about was, you know, the fans, the yeah. fans, the fans, you know, they will drag them over the line, they will do their bit. Yeah. But you're more seat now in a position, haven't seen what you've seen so far under Sean Dyson. You don't want to get carried away too soon, mm. but the evidence is clear to say that a reason why Everton could avoid relegation is because of Sean Dyson, the manager oh. they got, because he's shown he's got experience, he knows how to set the team up, and he can yield results. Yeah. The, the reason it, it was all down on the fans and it's going to be down on the fans again, but it's because things were so desperate last season. So, you know, you'd had, you'd had the, what had gone on under Benitez and then Lampard had, had, had come in. So, yeah, the, the fans helped drag this underachieving players over the line. But if you've got a decent manager in there, which I very think, very much think Sean Dyche is, Unlike Lampard, who was a world-class player, but was largely an unproven manager. I know he'd had a stint at the very top with Chelsea. I mean, you'd look at his, his stint at Derby and Chelsea and interpret them however you want. They probably didn't massively over or underachieve either of those positions. But I think after a year at Evan, you think, I don't know, unless he goes and um, re-establishes himself in the lower divisions, which I don't know whether he would want to do or not, where Frank Lampard goes now as a manager. I don't think he's going to get another Premier League job unless he does something very good elsewhere, be that abroad or in the lower divisions. Whereas Deitch is a... Whatever you think about him, and I never had a problem with this, I think a lot of people did have that... Um, I'll call it a football snobbery. I think I've used that phrase before about him. We saw it at Anfield um, when Joe and I were at Anfield and I, I could hear the Liverpool fans in and around me when we were sitting there. They were... They really had this cartoonish, um, exaggerated idea of, of Dyke. It was almost like Everton at the point of old Dave Bassett, the old um, Wimbledon and Sheffield United manager from the 80s and 90s. And they, they, they thought they were going to get uh, this full-on assault, like this absolute exaggerated idea about Dyke. And um, yeah, I did. I mean, when I spoke to Stephen DeFore about that piece, uh, um, actually after DeFore had um, been brought in by Dykes to give Amadou and Anand a few pointers about, well, I mean, that's that's sort of doing them down there, a few pointers about how to become a Premier League footballer. And he was saying, Sean Dykes in an ideal world would love to play like Manchester City or Barcelona. But as Joe has just said, he, he tries to get the best out of the tools at his disposal. And if you're competing at Burnley, the smallest market in the Premier League, least resources of course he's got to play in the most effective way and he'll try and do that with Evan he'll still demand that work ethic and that 100% the same way the fans do but hopefully within time um, he can become more expansive so I'm sure he'll, he'll want to play that way but yeah if you've got the thing is Everton with their resources and all that they spent and all that Farhad Mashiri has admitted that they've been so profligate in their spending under his regime you've got a decent manager like Sean Dyche at the helm should be achieving a a lot more, and yeah, that Deitch him, him, himself should should be enough. So, complemented with with the fans, you've got to hope that Everton will have enough. And then, what is like we said, uh, become a very sort of truncated um, pr Premier League survival battle with, with as many as nine clubs involved in it now. We are going to talk about the relegation battle, but Gav, you mentioned them before, it'd be wrong not to touch on his resurgence. But Dwight McNeil was obviously Everton's match winning hero on Saturday, obviously, he scored after 35 seconds. And also Cleveland off the line in the second half to you know keep his side in front. He just seems to be getting better and better. He doesn't even need to pass from me. He seems to be playing with real confidence and and he, he's now starting to look the, the player that Everton hoped they were signing the summer from Burnley. 
Yeah, well, he's worked hard, hasn't he, for a start. Um, he's worked a lot harder than what he did under under Lampard, and he's he's been effective in terms of affecting well affecting the games. And he, he's a funny player, isn't he? Because he hasn't got a he's not a he hasn't got a lot of pace, has he? He hasn't got a, he hasn't got a right foot either. Um, There's a few left-foot players like that, Gav. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think he's tried to do a clearance with his right foot in the first half, and I don't think it went in, shall we say, the expected uh, direction. Yeah. And um, he, he's been funny. I mean, he's a good, he's a good avenue for He's good at getting corners as well, isn't he, really? As well. And, I, I yeah, I think I, I, th- I, I think he's been a key part, part of our research and so whatever you would call it, under dice, 10 points in seven games. And that was a, that was a great goal. As somebody said, uh, and I, I can't remember who said it. Very much, um, if you remember uh, Gareth Barry's goal against Norwich in mm-hmm. two thousand and fourteen, similar part of the pitch. And and the good thing about that goal as well is, you know, when you saw it live, I thought you should have hit that first time. You know, when the ball came to him, well, and it was good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Because when as soon as he saw it, I thought, oh, why did you hit that first time? And he had the he had the way, especially early in the game when you sort of not got into it. Don't think he would have touched the ball. That probably would have been the um, the obvious thing to do and the natural thing to do. But he, he he touched the ball. I think it just ran away from him slightly, didn't it as well? I don't think his first touch was the best. It sort of went away a little bit wide, and and it was a, it was a great finish, and I, I, that that set the tone for the rest of the game. Then, isn't it? You know, to to. To, to paraphrase that old boxing saying, you know, everybody's got a plan in football until you uh, can see the goal after 35 seconds. And yeah. that that goal dictated the rest of the games, didn't it, really? The way the, way the game went. And yeah, he's, he's been excellent for us, McNeil. It's a bit limited, but for what he do, what Dice wants him to do and, uh, you know, in terms of affecting the team and influencing the team, he's, he's been excellent. And he's worked really hard off the ball as well, which has been encouraging to see. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. John, I think that's one of the big things, isn't it? Because obviously, I think on the outside world, there's a perception that Everton fans are quite hard to please and, and, and are quite a negative bunch. But I think, you know, deep down, obviously, we know firsthand ourselves, not really that hard to please if players go out there and put 100% effort in, work hard and, and you know, give their all for the club and, and the team. And Drake McNeil seems to be a bit of a symbol of, of that in recent since. Sean Dyche certainly coming up, just getting his head down, working hard, putting 100% effort in, and he's now reaping the rewards for that. And Everton fans are almost showing their appreciation more because he's just working hard than anything else. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Everton fans are no different to any other fans in that respect. They just want to see players that they can, you know, put in performances and and show the desire and the passion that, that they can then get behind. And they haven't seen enough of that over recent years, unfortunately. But, you know, under Dyche, we are seeing if, uh, yeah, that return of that fight and that desire and that you know he speaks about this relentless mentality the belief that you can get anything from a game at any point within it and you know i think we're seeing that in the players and the resurgence of dwight mcneil is probably the full embodiment of that he's he's, you know he's been exceptional and i think that if you contrast some of the the criticism that he was getting compared to i can't remember what it might have been against walls it was one of the goals that post world cup goals that evan conceded and there was a lot of Clips doing the round of of, of Dwight McNeil struggling to track back to to help defend against what ended up being a being a goal that helped cost Everton a, um, a, a result. And you can compare that now to how people are seeing him 
um, after his current form under Dice, and it, you know it's a complete sea changes. And I think it's his confidence. I think Dwight Neal's clearly a confidence player. He's clearly a confidence player. And Dice has come in. He's shown that he's trusted him. He's shown that he's got faith in his ability. Obviously, this is the manager that gave him his you know for his senior debut that introduced him to essentially you know top level first team football and, and stayed with him time and time again after that. You know, it seems to be a match made in heaven essentially because Dwight McNeil, you know, from a defensive perspective, we've seen him fight and fight and fight and you know, provide important support work to, to the fullback behind him. Normally Mikalenko, sometimes Godfrey and you know, the game against Arsenal, the first half against Liverpool and against Leeds and some of the other games, so we get some of their threatening wingers and you know, we're also seeing him as an attacking force as well. From his set pieces have improved, probably because there looks to be a plan to Everton's attacking set pieces now, as opposed to just almost whipping it in, hoping it finds Tarkovsky. Obviously, the, the, the deep in-swingers to the back post is is a clear tactic addition. It, it allows McNeil a clarity of thought, perhaps, that he can then execute it more often. And, you know, from the goal the other day, it was a fantastic strike. It was brilliant, you know, brilliant to see. And I think we all want him to do really, really well for Everton. And hopefully this is the start of him doing that. He's justified there as a match made in heaven between yeah. Sean Dyche and Frank McNeil. Yeah. But it's not just Frank McNeil, is it, who seems to be a bit of a match made in heaven because, like we've already alluded to, there's a fair few other players who are shining. Michael Keane's come back yeah. and, and done well. James Coleman's, you know, James Coleman in many respects. Yeah. And outside the corner, I thought was really impressive again. Yeah. On Saturdays, another one who's, who's, who's fine. It's almost as if Sean Dyche has come in and wiped the slate clean, and a lot of people who found themselves on the outside looking under Frank Lampard and now firmly established as part yeah. of the plan moving forward to, to keep Everton in the Premier League. Yeah. I don't know about a match made now. It's a match made in East Lancashire, possibly. And yeah. maybe that to be a, a match made in heaven. I'll leave that to the listeners to decide. Um, well, we've got a few in East Lancashire who will believe that is the case. Yeah, <laughs> with Rochdale born uh, Dwight McNeil as well. Yeah, um, but yeah, and you mentioned you mentioned Michael Keane, another one of his former Burnley players, and there's been a big call, it's been a huge call because I've talked about a piece based on Dyche's Monday quote um, on this, and uh, Connor, you've got to remember Connor Cody, who Dyche himself described, you know, the, the, the great pro that he is. And I think nobody is disputing that he's an absolute model professional, isn't he, Connor Cody? By all accounts. What a great guy he is to have in the dressing room. But he's missed one game that he was eligible to play in since 2017 until this last 12 days. And, and that was even that was COVID. And um, he's just always been available. And he did not, not just available, but playing at just virtual ever present for the best part of almost six years. And now for the last three matches, he's found himself on, on the bench. And Michael Keane has, has, has come back in there player who obviously Deitch knows from his time at Burnley and then was his Burnley manager when he was sold to Everton for 25 million, though, we've got to remember, in, in 2017. And I think what Michael Keane is extremely effective when you ask him to do, as, as Gavros, I think, saying earlier, that the things that you know Michael Keane is confident with, with his, he's a real towering presence at the back. And I think that's where he's, he's different than Cody. Both, I mean, Cody has obviously uh, scored goals for Everton this season, but... Um, at both ends of the pitch, you know, he's, he's got that, that great heading ability. So you've got him and Tarkovsky together. What a combination there for old school centre-halves. And then at the, there was a chance he had on, on Saturday when he had really attacked the ball from one of Damari Gray's wide free kicks. And I think if you get Keane to do what he's comfortable with, he's, he's, he's very effective. It's when you try and get Michael Keane to do stuff that he's less comfortable with, then, then you've, you've got the problems. And he's a lot more proactive in his style than Cody in that respect. I mean... We've got this strange dilemma now where 
when Connor Cody was signed, it was I was like, oh, it's an absolute shoo-in that he'll become a, a permanent Everton player. It's just you know waiting for that to to get done, and he was playing all the time on, on the Lampard event under Dykes at the start. But yeah, Keane has been one because he. he He'd hardly played at all. I think, ironically, his only Premier League minutes all season under Lampard had come in the reverse fixture at Bradford back in August when he think he got about 22 minutes and he, he hadn't played in the Premier League since then. So it's a remarkable revival. But as, as Dyke said, you, you know, when you've been at the club five and a half coming on for six years, like like he has, you are going to have your, your ups and downs. Seamus has had his ups and downs. He's been at the club for so long. But yeah, it's, it's been a new start for himself. And as you mentioned, I've delayed the Corey as well. Another player who right at the end of the Lampard frozen out but has been one of the main men I thought he was he was great again on, on Saturday I believe the core especially in the first half yeah, he was everywhere Gav whenever your side is in a relegation battle or any battle in football you are always looking at results elsewhere for Everton no one there fans it seems every week another club is added to the list of, of results that you need to check on and with results going the way they did at the weekend it appears that Leicester and, and Crystal Palace and our two clubs of Everton fans will also have their eye on as, as things move forward I think it, to say it's getting frantic down there would be a bit of an understatement as, as things stand. Oh yeah, which is which is good, isn't it? Really, because you know, by simple maths, if there's only four four clubs or five clubs down there, and you're one of them, and three go down, you know, got, I don't know what percentage that is. You've got got a sixty percent chance of going down or whatever. But there's nine clubs, and the three go down. It's that that halves, doesn't it? Those chances in you looked at it in theory and. Yeah, I think Palace are the ones who are, you know, there was that, that old cliche, you know, there'll be an unexpected club dragged into it. And Palace, all of a sudden, they've not won since, I think, December. I've been dragged into it, though they were unlucky. And by and large, the the, the results went for us on, on Saturday, apart after Bournemouth. I know there was a couple of draws, and there was a couple of draws yesterday, but, you know, Wolves got beaten, so on. So it was a good weekend to get a win. And we said that, like, I mean, I think we have to say, don't we, that if you go back to the Friday podcast before last, when we all sat together, we said how important these two games were, didn't we, that we had to win one of them mm. because of the, the fixtures that came in the immediate uh, aftermath of it. So we've won one of them. And that's why I feel now that the Forest game, because we beat Brentford, was a point game rather than two points lost. Yeah. And so to get four points and two fixes is great. And and you're looking at it and you're thinking, we're 15th and we're two points off 12th. But it swings mm. around about, and this is going to be the case as I'm seeing now in the rest of the season. We've now got three really hard fixtures. Chelsea won the last three, Spurs won on, on Saturday. And United are, you know, are invariably very good at home. So we can't rest on our laurels here, haven't we? Can we? Because we still play the game more than some of the teams around us. And we've got three fixtures coming up that any points would be welcome. So in three, three games' time, the table could look completely different again. Yeah. And, and, and this shows you the importance of Saturday's win and the importance of at least getting something from the next three games. A couple of draws would be fine for me. A win would be great. But um, we never beat Tottenham, do we? And um, I think Chelsea beat Tottenham. So, yeah, yeah, it's good. But we said last week that we have to win one of these games because the three games are stinkers now. And I'm not taking anything really for granted by the fact that we're 15th with two points off 12. 
because in three games' time, I guarantee it will look completely different. Um, the bottom eight or nine, and um, you know we need to make sure we 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 take what we can from the next three matches. But this way, I wouldn't like. I think United's the third game, is it? I think United's yeah. the third game. I wouldn't like to go to United that haven't lost against Chelsea and Spurs. Well, just they can change just within within a few hours. Gav, I think the Bournemouth go from being like bottom to fifteenth, but then they've actually ended up the weekend back in the relegation zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that's in an afternoon. Yeah. In, in in two or three weeks, it can change completely. So I don't think we, you know, we shouldn't be loaded into a false sense of security as, as supporters and playing staff and management here. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Do you think that that's the big thing, Joe, isn't it, moving forward, is that Everton fans now, given how tight it is and given, you know, the amount of clubs who could, you know, realistically still be relegated, Everton fans, they can't get too high when things go well and they end up 15th and, you know, all of a sudden two points off 12th, etc. But, of course, not get too low if they don't do lose to Chelsea next weekend and results elsewhere go against them and they find themselves, you know, maybe back in the bottom parade. It's just going to be a bit of a frantic roller coaster ride between now and the end of May. Yeah, I think the reality is that I think the the attitude that Everton and the fans, because we know how important the fans are to the hopes and, and dreams of this Everton side, is I think there can't be any arrogance, there can't be any, um, you know, thinking that the job's done before it's done. I don't think there will be either, to be honest. I think everyone's well aware of the situation, but Everton aren't safe until they're safe. That's that's just going to have to fight to for now to get everything from every game, you know, and for the same reason the players can't, and I'm sure Deitch won't do this, can't write off the next three games as, as mm. defeats before we kick the ball because anything will matter. But I think crucially, I mean, one of the things we talked about having failed to do this last weekend, but all of a sudden now, and, and I think this, this has been my hope for a while, is Crystal Palace and Nottingham Forest are in a relegation battle. And two weeks ago, they didn't look like it. Two weeks ago, mm. they, looked, they were four or five points clear of trouble. And they, they probably looked, if they'd got a win... Um, you know, from the next, you know, from the last fortnight, you'd say they're probably safe. Now, all of a sudden, they're really, really in a relegation zone. And I suppose when in a relegation battle, when you look at last week and the results have happened, all of a sudden, Gav just alluded to it. Then I suppose if, if we take a step back, it's almost, it's less two points dropped from Forest and it's more one point gained because if they'd have, if they had lost to Forest, Forest would be clear. Forest would be, you know, they'd mm. be off in, the, off, off in the distance and, yeah, with a, a bit of a renewed momentum instead. Yeah, they're two points off the relegation zone now. Palace are three points off the relegation zone. Yeah, we saw from that forest side, that forest side isn't great. Yeah, it has a lot of players there, but it, it's not, it's not exactly. fantastic. <laughs> you, know, yeah, you know, it isn't <laughs> like, yeah, they could easily be dragged into this. And I think Palace are really struggling to score goals. And all of a sudden, that game at the back end of April, it goes with, talk about those three horrible games that we've got. Then they play Fulham at home, see if Marco Silva will do Everton a favour and has returned to Goodison Park. <laughs> and then it's Crystal Palace away. What a big game that is. It's, isn't it just funny how it just keeps, the footballing gods just seem to keep on throwing these Crystal Palace games as massive games, whether by luck or judgment, you look at the FA Cup game last season, Andros Townsend picked up that horrific injury in it. It's a game after which Lampard comes out, makes the comments about the players not having the 
you know, the, the mentality, if I put it politely, to, you know, to, to perform consistently. You look at the last game, the penultimate game of last season and the survival win. You look at this season, the high point, the best point of the season came again, that win against Crystal Palace. All of a sudden, the next game in Palace, end of April, could be a huge, huge game. Bees, you know, Joe touched on it there in terms of huge games. But that's the one thing Everton, they can't do, and Sean Dyche won't allow this to happen, but they can't just kind of toss away the next three games and be a bit like, well... They're three tough games, you know. No one expects to get it out of it, you know. We've got other bigger games to come, yeah. Because if Everton do pick up, a, you know, Southampton went to all traffic and draw on the weekend, Everton can pick up points against these teams, it's not near impossible, yeah. I think that's a big thing. I mean, we'll go into it probably in more detail when we do the pre Chelsea pod at the back end of the week, but yeah, the fact is, you just said that Southampton got that point at Manchester United. It was good that they didn't win again. But, you know, there's still about, I think every point, especially away from home, it's a great point for them. They've gone to Chelsea and won Southampton mm-hmm. as well. I'd be like I said, every one we'll discuss more for Chelsea preview, but it's been a problem for far too long that, okay, there's certain games and that you look at the fixtures like they're the tough ones, obviously. But for far too long, Everton just haven't got anything from these games and they need to pick up these these bits and pieces. The way I, I see it at the moment, as sort of alluding to what both the other panellists have said so far, it was important that the Everton do, did get these points on the board now because of these fixtures that they've got coming up. And we you can tie yourselves in knots looking about how many games Everton played and the games everyone else has played. But as Gav says, sheer mathematics, it's better surely for Everton to have nine teams involved in this rather than just four or five teams. Because if you're doing your job, you're making sure you're, you're going to be all right. Somebody else will come across or somebody else will, mm. will drop into that that um, bottom three. But yeah, it's going to change. It's going to sort of concertina in and out so many times. I remember similar last season, you know, it, it wax and wane so often that they were in a bad position, then they looked a bit better and then it would change again. And it's going to be so many more twists and turns. But as long as you can have that sort of general upwards turn on the on the Sean Dyke chats that gives you the, the hope that they, they, they can ultimately uh, escape from this. But yeah, like as Joe says, and that's eight till the same and it'll it'll go a lot of many more weeks yet until uh, they're in a, a position of comfort if, if at all. I think our part message then to supporters strap yourselves in because <laughs> <laughs> there's gonna be some roller coaster right between now and May. But gentlemen we'll leave things there for today. We'll, of course, be back on Friday to look back on Sean Dyche's pre-Chelsea press conference and look ahead to Everton's trip to the capital to take on Graham Potter's side in what promises to be another huge game. But for today, thanks to Chris, Joe and Gav for joining me. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.